Welcome to The Lawyerist Podcast, a series of conversations about law practice. Each week, we talk with legal entrepreneurs and innovators about building a successful law practice in today's challenging and constantly changing legal market. And now, here are your hosts. Hi, I'm Sam Glover. This is episode 187 of the Lawyerist Podcast, part of the Legal Talk Network. Today, I'm talking with Stephanie Everett about how a mastermind group can help you grow your firm. Today's podcast is brought to you by LawPay, Ruby Receptionists, New Law Business Model, and Headnote. We appreciate their support, and we will tell you more about them later in the show. I'm recording this just a few hours after getting back home from our very first LabCon, which we've been telling you about on the podcast. I'm still all fired up from it. It exceeded my expectations in every way, and most of that is due to Stephanie, who you're about to hear from, and Ashley Steckler, our operations director. Aaron also put in a lot of work, and so have most of the lawyerist team. It was fun and inspiring, and the venue was perfect. We've already selected dates for LabCon next year. It will be August 11th through 14th in Minnesota. If you're interested in joining the labs, you can come to LabCon in 2019. You can learn more about Lab at lawyerist.com lab, and maybe we'll see you in the next lab cohort. While we were there, Lindsay and I recorded a ton of video with the lawyers who attended, so you'll be seeing them in upcoming episodes of Lawyerist Lens on YouTube. Speaking of which, please go find Lawyerist Lens on YouTube and subscribe so you don't miss an episode, and it'll also help others find the show. Now we've got a brief sponsored conversation with Sarah Schaff from Headnote, and then we'll talk about mastermind groups with Stephanie. Hi, this is Sarah, the CEO of Headnote, the new best practice for legal payments. Hi, Sarah. Uh, It's great to have you on the podcast again. So we didn't really touch on this last time, but rather than talking about eChecks credit cards specifically, why should lawyers be thinking about collecting payments that way instead of the traditional old-fashioned checks? Well, it's not going to come as a surprise that the first thing I'm going to say is that it gets you paid faster. I think all of us know that we'll pay a bill faster if we can click to pay it online rather than needing to find our checkbook and deal with kind of the old way of doing that. But it also is directly related to the amount that you're going to be able to collect on the dollar. And it is very correlated and related to the amount of client satisfaction that you're going to get as a result of offering that. So say more about each of those. How is it tied to client satisfaction? Yeah, yeah. So client satisfaction, this one I always find so fascinating. There's actually new stats that have recently come out that 71% of consumers, not just law firm clients, but consumers, but your clients are consumers, report higher satisfaction when given the option to pay online, 71%. But more exciting, I think, for us as you know, attorneys and law firms is that 36% of law firm clients are less likely to switch to a competitor if sent an electronic bill over paper. I mean, that's me. Like, I don't even know where my check book is. So if you want me to pay you using a check, I can't actually hire you. Right. Or I just will leave it in some kind of sad, actual like mail (laughs) inbox that I never check because I don't have the time to deal with it. Essentially, the only thing I ever had paid for with a check over the past few years was my attorney's bills. And those were the ones that would wait till last because I just, it made it impossible for me to do it. You said getting paid more as well. So say more about that, because I know a lot of lawyers are like, oh, I don't want to deal with the merchant fees because it feels like, you know, I, I can't deal with losing that 3% or 2% or whatever it is. Yeah, absolutely. So that's, you know, also related to that faster payment time that we kind of talked about. So in the legal industry, as most of us have experienced, the ABA has reported that the average payment time for law firms is between 60 and 94 days, which is crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, on Headnote, our customers get paid on average in four days. So we've taken 
your net 60 and can make it net four or even less very easily. But the fact is that there's a direct relationship between how fast you get paid and the amount you end up collecting. So the longer in time that you wait to get paid, the likelihood of you getting paid period goes down, but also the amount you're going to collect on the dollar goes down. So if you are waiting the 60 to 94 days, like most firms, the ABA is reporting that you're only going to collect 86 cents on the <laughs> dollar for <laughs> every dollar that you build. So screw the merchant fees, because if you're only collecting 86% as opposed to, say, 97 or 98%, you're getting all of your money back. Exactly. Exactly. On top of the fact that you actually will collect more if you make it easier to pay and you get paid faster, imagine what you can do with that extra money in your pocket, You know, the time value of that money to grow your business or your firm or get more clients or whatever it is that you want to do, you know, that's, you're directly taking that out of your firm's plans because it's coming out of your bottom line. So my advice is always, hey, that sounds great, but lawyers need to try it for themselves. Mm -hmm. And I think one of the more intimidating things about accepting credit cards is that, you know, honestly, the world of credit cards and merchant accounts and everything is a rabbit hole that leads to a morass. And it's just, mm -hmm. it is so hard to even figure out what it actually costs and what you need. And what people really need to do is just try it for a month, you know, attach mm -hmm. a payment link to your invoices and see if it works. And one of the things that has stood out for me about Headnote is just how easy it is to get started. When you bugged me until I tried it, I was like, all right, mm -hmm. I'll give this a shot. And <laughs> and I decided to send my business partner, Aaron, a bill for 1500 bucks. And honestly, like not even kidding, it took about five minutes to get up and running with Headnote, um, generate that payment link and send Aaron a bill for 1500 bucks, which he remains delinquent on. Right, so, right. <laughs> uh, but, uh, but honestly, super easy. And so if you are just wanting to try it, I, I think Headnote is a great choice for trying it. Yeah, I mean, you kind of hit the nail on the head. That was a lot of the reason and the passion behind making Headnote was why is there so much pain with getting paid and with the process of dealing with modernizing some of our systems. So no matter what kind of firm you're at, Headnote is made that you can add it to whatever your tech stack is within a couple of minutes. And that kind of is our, what we say is one link, one day, one fee. It's one, you know, your firm gets one link that they can add to anything, invoice template, signature line on email, create a payment page on your website. We're happy to help get any of that set up. Your clients can click and pay easily. One day, we're the only payment platform for lawyers that offers same day payment processing on our exclusive e-check, which is 100% trust compliant. So you can get cash in hand faster and one fee, which is you only ever pay transaction fees that are clear and transparent. And you can download a CSV of all the fees you're paying anytime on your HeadNote dashboard. So you don't have to wait for your monthly statement to try to recreate the wheel. Very cool. If you'd like to know more about using HeadNote to bill your clients, you can find out more at headnote.com slash lawyerist. And if you visit that link, you will get $50 in transaction fees waived. Thanks so much, Sarah. That's right. Thanks again, Sam. I'm Stephanie Everett, the Community Director here at Lawyerist, and I help small firm lawyers build and grow joyful and successful businesses because work should be awesome, right? That's awesome. Hey, Stephanie. It's fun to hear you describe the things that you do in our business, but I love that. So thanks. I'm glad you're here. Glad to be back. So today we wanted to talk about something that 
comes up when in groups of business people, and I feel like over the years it's become an increasingly popular topic among some lawyers, which is mastermind groups. And maybe you should just start out by letting us know, for those people who don't know what the hell that is, what is a mastermind group? Yeah, so it's real simple. It's just a group of people coming together regularly who are dedicated to helping each other grow and develop their businesses. Where did the idea come from? So my reading suggests that it started way back like Benjamin Franklin back in his times. He had a club that he created of other like-minded people who would just share ideas and help improve themselves and the community and others. I think that the modern term mastermind really took hold when um, this guy, Napoleon Hill, he wrote a book in the early 1920s, I believe. It's called The Law of Success. And he was looking at all these successful business people and really successful businessmen, let's be honest. From that time, it was Mm the 19th and 20th century. And he said, what do all these folks have in common? Um, the Vanderbilts of the world. And he realized that they all had small networks of trusted advisors where they could go for ideas, for help, for accountability. And so he sort of phrased that coin mastermind that we hear used today. And I think you're right. I think this is an idea that's wildly popular among business people. And maybe lawyers are just kind of starting to come around to the idea of what this is and why they should be in one. I mean, I, I hate the name. But I I love, (laughs) but we haven't come up with a better (laughs) name that just helps everybody understand what we're talking about. Um, But I love the concept and it makes perfect sense. You know, like I, sometimes I get distracted by like conspiracy theories and stuff. And, um, but you can, you see this thing operating all the time. Part of the reason successful businesses are successful is because they get together with other, the leaders of those businesses get together with other successful business leaders and just have conversations and naturally or intentionally, you're going to have conversations about your business, the problems you face, and hey, why don't we work together? And anybody who's ever gotten out of their room and gotten in a conversation with other businesses and people and lawyers and whatever will have had that experience of, hey, maybe we can refer business back and forth. Maybe we can collaborate on this. Maybe there's a way we can work together. You know, I have a solution to a problem that you're facing. It just makes sense. Yeah. And I think, you know, people are doing this. It's just, this is making it really intentional. Mm-hmm. We're going to dedicate and carve out and protect time on our calendar each and every month that we're going to be a part of this group so that we can be really intentional with the time that we spend together. And that's the difference than just, I think lawyers are often going out and doing this type of work, like you said, in their networking groups and in the, with their friends, but it's sort of haphazard, right? Well, yeah. So what's the difference between this? Because I'm afraid that when people hear this, they're going to go naturally to saying, oh, you know, I'm part of a networking group and it's fine or I hate it or whatever. I just, I have been to some of those meetings and I I realize that I've only gotten a a small snapshot of what, you know, B&I and Grapevine and whatever can be. But I I don't think those are mastermind groups. (laughs) Right. No, I I don't either. And that's a great point. So it's not a networking group. Networking is going to be a byproduct of any group that we're in, right? We could possibly get business from one another if we are connecting with other people. You're not going to earn business. You're going to solve problems, right? That's right. This is a group of business folks. In this case, let's just be, we're talking about lawyers. So 
these are you know managing partners of small law firms or um, solos who are running their own firm, and this is a time when we're coming together as a, a small community of business owners and talking about problems that we're facing in our business or opportunities that we want our business to explore. And we're being very intentional with our time together and how we talk about it. And we have a, an agenda that we follow each and every time that I can kind of go through. But it, it's really a great time to work on your business. I want to touch on that again, the, the difference between working on and in your business, because I think a lot of lawyers struggle with that. But I, I think the, one of the other things is like when you're running a business um, and masterminds are they're for people who are at a similar level to, to where you are. Um, and I think it's especially valuable for business owners because even if you're at a firm that is big, you know, 10, 15 people to have a leadership team, if you're the CEO or you're the owner of the firm, your leadership team is not exactly your peers and their perspective is going to be formed by your perspective. Whereas if you go and talk to another business, you know, law firm owner in your area of a similarly sized firm, you're getting sort of somebody with a fresh perspective and their own perspective. And that that's just a valuable difference that you can't get internally and you have to really kind of get out of your firm and, and get around other people. Yeah, absolutely. And how we try to, when, when I'm putting mastermind groups together for lawyerists, I'm, I'm very intentional with how I place people together mm -hmm. and we're trying to get people really similar sized businesses, but also at similar phases in a business cycle. So we have one group that is a lot of folks who are just starting out their solo practice. So they're all kind of struggling with the similar things versus someone who maybe is going to hire their, you know, third or fourth or 10th team member that, that size firm and that, uh, where that firm is in their life cycle, they're just facing different issues. And so we want to be very intentional with who we put in those groups so that we get you in with your people. You know, I, and one of the things I, I know that some lawyers really struggle against the idea that, or, or fight against the idea that a new solo who, especially one right out of law school has anything to teach anybody. And there's something to that, like, but mentoring is a different thing. <laughs> and, and what I think about is the problems that you face when you're a new solo are problems that you will forget about in a year or three or five years. And so five years out, you know, somebody's struggling with the same issue and you come to them as a new solo or somebody's not struggling with the same issue. You come to them with a new solo and you're like, I'm struggling with this. And you're just like, no, just move past it. That's not a thing. And that's not, that's not useful. Right. <laughs> so. Right. And part of the beauty of the group too is, and this happens a lot with, with lawyers is just having that community and recognizing other people are struggling with this exact it's a same support thing. Group too. There's such, <laughs> yeah, it really is such a, you know, that's that comfort there. Like that happens so off at almost every call we have, someone will come on with some issue and you hear other people go, Oh yeah, I, I'm struggling with that too. Thank you for saying that because I was thinking I was the only one, or I was thinking this was just a unique problem to me or my perspective. And then you learn that, Oh no, this is something that's typical or I'm not going crazy. This is, this is a real thing. And, and it kind of helps us then work through the problem. And then that's what we do as a group. When we get into our great group brainstorming is we, we work through the problem in a really real way and come out with actionable solutions for the person. So you said in passing, working on your business and anyone who has ever read the E-Myth will understand that that is sort of a reference there to working on versus working in your business. But I don't think that book actually cleared it up for me and it took years before I understood what that meant. So maybe we should stop and talk about like, why, why is that an important difference in perspective and how does the mastermind group play into that? Yeah. So, you know, this term 
it's just really thinking about the different roles that we have to play in our business. And when you decide to open up your own shop, sometimes people forget that they've actually taken on this a whole bunch of more hats than they wore before, right? So when you're a lawyer, you're practicing in a firm, you're a technician. That's the term he uses in the book. And I think it's a good one because, you know, you're doing lawyerly things. You're doing the practice of law as a lawyer. That's technician mode. But then when you go and open your own firm, now think about all the other aspects that you now have under your belt. So you've got a, from HR and hiring people and training people and paying people and the bookkeeping and the accounting and the invoicing and the billing, and then the accounts receivable and accounts payable and the you know, you got to have IT. I mean, the list goes on and on. And that's one of the things, you know, that we do in lab is sort of help everyone create an organization chart to just see all the different roles. Even if you're a solo, all those jobs have to get filled by someone. Yeah. Usually. You. I, I guess Jordan Furlong <laughs> and I just had a podcast about that, where we talk about being an owner of your business and how that is a different job than being a high level employee. Yeah. And there are times where I say to people, maybe what you really want is to be an employee. You know, you thought you wanted to be your own boss, and but really you like just practicing law. And that's a, I, I have no judgment when folks get to that conclusion. It's a great one to get to because don't take on all the burden of owning a business and running a business if that's really not what you want to be doing. Without going on a, a too much of a tangent because Jordan and I totally did. Um, so you can listen to that podcast if you want it. But like, this is one of the problems that I have with not allowing non-lawyers to own businesses. Like if you recognize that, which is totally true for most lawyers, the high and highest and best use of your time is not running a business, but doing the actual high level, you know, advice, giving advice, um, doing real mental legal work. Like who, who do you bring in to be run your business? You have to find somebody who can do that. Who also has a law degree, I guess. And it's just a stupid obstacle that shouldn't be there. But anyway, I, yeah. I digress. <laughs> I know we can't solve that problem today, but what we can do is help those folks that are in this situation. So, so back to the, the major point I want to make is we have to recognize, and I think this is where, you know, we won't get on a billable hour tangent either. Cause you know how I feel about that. <laughs> but one of the many disservices the billable hour has done for us is made us think that we are only making money as lawyers when we're billing, mm -hmm. right? That's how we think. That's what generates revenue. And what we're trying to do is remind attorneys that that's not necessarily the case that you can, when you step back and carve out time and you have to make the time, it's not going to, this has to be very intentional. But when you make time each and every week to work on your business, to work on the management of the business and the operations and the systems and the training and all the things that make that business run, that that also is revenue generating. It's not immediate in that it's not a billable hour that's going to go on your timesheet. But if you develop a new offering to your clients and a new way to talk about it, and then you train your staff on a better way to deliver those services, ultimately you will make more money. That's I think you've just nailed the it. difference between value and like, you know, billing money, you know, <laughs> I mean, yeah, cre creating value is, is more valuable. More, did I just say that really? Um, but, <laughs> but creating value is, is what we do. And, um, and billing time is just a totally different thing. Yes. And it's such a huge mind shift for folks to make. And I love it when they finally get there because that's what I'm out there trying to preach. Like, mm -hmm. yes, we can, we can create value if we take a step back and work on our business and make our business as a whole better. And really that's what I do every day. That's what yeah. I love. And then the mastermind is just an intentional time for us 
to come together and really work on some of those problems that maybe you're feeling stuck on or issues that are coming up and you're just like, oh, I don't know how to deal with this. And so you come together with a community, a very small uh, select community of other lawyers, other business owners who are going through similar problems because more heads are better than one. So uh, we're not even close to done talking about this, but we need to take a quick break to hear from our sponsors and we come back. We'll talk more about like implementation, how to actually make a mastermind happen for you. So we'll be right back. Support for today's episode comes from Ruby Receptionists, dedicated to helping you grow your practice one happy color at a time. From their offices in Portland, Oregon, Ruby's live virtual receptionists work in tandem with their innovative technology to answer your calls live with your custom greeting, transfer calls through to you when and where you want, collect new client intake and messages, make follow-up calls, and more. Delighting your callers in English and Spanish just like an in-house receptionist at a fraction of the cost. They integrate with Clio, Rocket Matter, and Lexicata, as well as the contacts and calendar on your cell phone to easily integrate into your workflow. Ruby can host your local phone number or provide you with one, giving you the opportunity to make dual use of your phone. Call clients using your office or personal number as you please via the Ruby mobile app. For over 15 years, thousands of attorneys have been turning rings into relationships with Ruby receptionists. To learn more, call 844-715-7829 or visit callruby.com slash lawyerist2018. Alexis Neely has been training lawyers on the new law business model she created to build her million-dollar law practice for more than 10 years. Over that time, she saw that some lawyers were hugely and immediately successful with it, and others spun their wheels, never getting anywhere. Just recently, she decided to figure out what made the difference. After reviewing all of her clients' successes and failures, as well as her own, she identified five shifts that were the common denominator among all the lawyers who today have high six- and seven-figure law practices they love. To learn what she discovered and apply it to your life and law practice, go to newlawbusinessmodel.com slash lawyerist. Did you know that attorneys who accept online payments get paid 39% faster on average than those using traditional payment methods? With LawPay, the only payment solution offered through the ABA Advantage program, you can accept client payments online, via email, or in person. No equipment needed. Visit LawPay.com lawyerist to sign up and get your first three months free. Trust the only payment solution developed for attorneys and recommended by 47 state bars, LawPay. Okay, Stephanie, so I hope we've conveyed the overall value of spending some time in your week, month, you know, quarter talking to a mastermind group, but who should be in yours? How do you think about which are the right people to include? I mean, you mentioned like similar size, similar growth phase, that kind of stuff. But if I were just trying to go do it, what would I think about? I think those things, I don't think you necessarily um, want maybe your direct competitors in your group. Mm -hmm. <laughs> we, that's probably a whole nother discussion. But I mean, I think one of the things that's so valuable about the groups that we're putting together is the trust and the the willingness to share. So you want to find people, one, who are going to be committed because this has to be something, like I said, protected time. Of course, court's going to come up, but short of that, you need to be there because showing up is is really the most you know valuable part is when everyone's there. So you got to find people who are really committed to this. And I think you need to find people who also you trust and who are trustworthy, you know, that will be willing and willing to share and willing to, they, they kind of get it because it's an open book when we get in this group and we have folks sharing their compensation models and really complicated spreadsheets and financials and, you know, how much are we spending on ads and what should the ROI be? And, you know, all this kind of data that 
when I was managing my small law firm, it was really easy to go and find this kind of information for big law because there's just that, I don't know, they share it, but that's easier to get. But, you know, when you're in a smaller firm, it's really hard to find that kind of behind the scenes information that you really want to know, like how much are you paying people and how are you motivating your associates and what kind of bonus plans work? Because we all know what the big law firms do, but that doesn't always translate to what we're doing. And so that's one of the beauties of these groups is that the willingness to really share real information and data is just awesome. I mean, that's just an amazing tool and benefit that you have by being in one. Well, and you, you skipped past, uh, competitors, but like, a, I don't think enough small firms, solo and small firms think in terms of competitors. Um, not that you should be like, you know, okay, buddy, stand back, but you are competing. And, and the more you think about your business strategically, the, the more you're going to be thinking about your competitive strategy. And you should be aware that, you know, feeding information to those who are have the potential to be taking your clients away is a problem. The easiest way around that, I, I think, or maybe it's not all that easy, but is to go outside of your your market. You know, instead of trying to draw your mastermind group from other criminal defense lawyers in your county, look for somebody in another state who who or elsewhere in your state who isn't competing with you. And I I, I guess I actually think that's one of the reasons that like our the lab masterminds work really well is because these aren't people who are going head to head with one another because they're in different states. So they can, they can be very forthright and share and there's no, nobody's going to be stealing clients or hopefully. (laughs) I don't, yeah, I don't think so. But you know, you know, this came up last time we had a criminal defense attorney in Colorado and she was thinking about, should I charge flat fees? And I was like, well, I'm even amazed that we're having this conversation because in Georgia, almost every criminal defense attorney I know only charges flat right. fees. Some of the folks on the call were like, yeah, that's what happens in my state. So it was just this really interesting conversation where she was kind of like, really, I didn't even realize other states were doing it differently. Mm-hmm. And so I do think sometimes when we get outside of our our market or our area, or our, our bubble, you know, you just get exposed to new ideas and new ways of doing things. Value of perspective and different viewpoints. All right. So that's a little bit about who should be in yours. How do you structure the meetings? What do you talk about? Like, is there is there sort of a stock agenda or like, if I was going to have my first mastermind group meeting, how would I try to make sure it was going to be successful? So it's pretty simple. There's kind of three basic components to the meeting. First, we do a quick check-in with everyone. And so if it's your first meeting, this would when not... When you say we, you're talking about lab masterminds. Yeah, this is how we do it with our lab um, masterminds. But also, I think most masterminds follow this sort of universal template. So Mm -hmm. I I think this is kind of shared among business leaders as well. Everyone in the group just does a quick check in what's going great with you in your professional life in your personal life, because we always love hearing great news and want to celebrate success. And then if you had had a previous meeting, you would check in on what you were said you were going to do. And so that will come up at the end, but we want to hold everyone accountable. So you you do a quick check-in, see where everyone is. If there's a major issue going on in that person's life, they might say, hey, I've got a big one, guys, because sometimes then the next part of the call is what we call the group brainstorming um, session or section of the call. And we might prioritize how much time we spend and which ones go first 
based on sort of the severity. If someone was really in crisis and needed to make a decision in the next 48 hours, the group would be like, yeah, let's take that person first and mm -hmm. make sure we give them the time they need. So that just kind of makes sense. Hmm. Um, and, and that's really where the real work happens. So one person brings an issue or an opportunity to the group, and we call that person sort of sitting on the hot seat. And so they describe the problem, and then the hardest part for them is they have to be quiet. <laughs> <laughs> so, right? so you put your problem out there and then let other people talk about it. Right. And it, well, sometimes people ask questions and say, yeah, you, you have a chance to ask and, and that will be very helpful. So people will kind of dig at, oh, you're saying this, but is that really the problem? Maybe this is the problem. And, and, and it's then where we kind of explore and we ask questions and we give thoughts and we give feedback and advice. And, and it's just really great. And the biggest rule to remember when you're the person on the hot seat is you don't have to agree to do anything or you, you digest it then just be open and listen mm -hmm. because you're going to, you know, you, sometimes the urge is to say, well, that'll never work because right. And you have to say, no, just listen, take it all in because you don't know yet what will work and whatnot. You can't just immediately dismiss ideas. You just need to listen and let everybody go through this brainstorming process together. And I assume part of it is like, well, I have done this. Here's what, what my experience of it was. Absolutely. If, you, if you've constructed your mastermind group, well, you should be talking to other people who've tried things that might be a solution for you. Yeah. And that happens all the time. And then, you know, if, if it's not obvious, the other benefit is even if you're not the person on the hot seat, usually you will have either had this problem or you might be, you know, you might be struggling with the same thing or some idea is going to spark by something someone said that you're going to be like, oh, that actually works for me too. So it's just this great time where everyone's bouncing lots of ideas and thoughts off of one another. I mean, that requires some open mind. Like you can't, you can't come in there. I mean, maybe, maybe you have to have an open mind even to, to come to a mastermind group, but sitting there and um, and sort of doing, engaging and brainstorming really requires that open mind. And, and you said it in passing, but like that, oh, that won't work because is the instant answer that I always get when I try to talk about anything, um, even <laughs> yes. a little bit new with lawyers. And, and Richard Susskind has a whole bit on, you know, every, how every law firm thinks they're unique and nothing that he's talking about applies to them. Right. And, you know, the, it, it is a really common response. And I don't think it's, it's fair to pin all that on lawyers. We naturally, I think humans naturally get a little bit defensive when this, because the suggestion that you could be doing something differently carries with it sort of an implicit suggestion that you're doing things wrong. And it makes us feel defensive, I think. And then I think in, in law, we also have this sort of mindset shaped by years and decades and, and centuries of tradition that make it hard for us to get out of that box. But and, it, you know, it's got to be a place where, like I, I talked about trust before, you've got to be able to have that honest, real, raw feedback. So we had a group a couple weeks ago where this person was describing how they just couldn't motivate this associate to do the work they needed them to do and was it kind of brought it as, how do I motivate this employee? But as she was describing all of the problems and some examples of problems she was having, everyone in the group was like, this person needs to go, right? Like this is not working out. We all saw it. And so there was a real hard moment in the call where we were like, okay, and we do, we do ours by video. So it's a video conference because it's, cause it helps to see people and, and see the reactions and see the heads nodding. And, and someone finally was like, 
this is a person that doesn't fit with the values of your firm. And that may not be correctable, right? You may need to have a real hard conversation to see if they can change. And if not, you're going to have to find mm -hmm. someone else. And everybody's head was just shaking up and down. And you could kind of see the slow realization of the person on the hot seat being like, really? Oh, yeah, really? Okay, yeah, you know what, you're right. And and that's sort of what the group does, too, is we're willing to hold up that mirror for you and, 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 and reflect. Sometimes you have to talk it out. And then you're talking it out. You even come to the, some of the realizations on your own. I mean, obviously, that requires a level of trust in addition to open-mindedness to hear things like, it's time to fire this person. Yeah. And, it, and it's hard. And there's been some tense moments. I'll, I'll, you know, even for me as the facilitator, there's times where, as you know, because I've had to call you after a call and be like, <laughs> okay, I, I need to decompress for a moment because this got like, I don't really share what happened in got the pretty call. Intense, though. Yeah. yeah. But I just was like, hey, I just need to talk to a friend for a minute because, you know, I, th these are really, it's important. It's important work. Mm -hmm. Any tips for somebody who uh, is, because I, I, I feel like, Often when you you want to implement something like this, you're the one gathering it. And then and whether or not you know what you're doing, everybody sort of looks to you to be the leader of the group. Um, so, you know, so let's say I'm a listener and I'm like, I'm going to implement that. I go out and find, you know, four or five people who I want to be in my mastermind group. Um, but now they're looking to me to sort of orchestrate the thing. Do you have tips for somebody who is about to be running their first mastermind? Yeah, sure. So obviously get that buy-in early and make sure everyone really understands what they're agreeing to do. So we would just want to be really clear on what the expectations of the group are. And some groups will even have written sort of contracts or agreements that, you know, the Vegas rules apply. We're not going to share this information outside the group. And, and we're going to all agree to come to the group and be, sh and show up and be present and have hard conversations and be trustworthy, all those great things. So that's always a good idea to just set the expectations up front. Obviously I have no tips on scheduling, except that it, it's hard. <laughs> That's the least favorite mm -hmm. part of my job because we're all lawyers and everyone's busy and there's court. And so, you know, maybe if you're, if you are doing it in a local place where you can carve out at an early time, like 7am, I, I get started early on my day. So that doesn't bother me. But if there was a time sort of a good chunk that everyone could say, yes, I could dedicate this time most weeks or months when we're going to meet. So that, that would be important. You might if you're going to do this on your own. Um, for our groups, I facilitate them all. And so I also take all the notes so that everybody else can just be free to focus on the conversation and not have to worry about, oh, let me write this down. Like I just want them engaged. And so I'm the note taker for our groups. Um, if you're doing this on your own, maybe you trade that responsibility around and you decide a different person will take the notes each time. And um, I mean, it feels like you should have someone whose job it is to be the facilitator. Yeah, keep people absolutely. on task, you know, right. um, call people out if they're not behaving properly in the hot seat gently, <laughs> you know? Yeah, absolutely. And also timekeeper, because we lim we respect everyone's time. And so we limit our time. Our groups um, are 90 minutes long. So we have and we've kind of I've got the agenda and I've carved up the time. And so depending on how many people are in the call, I'll sort of set this is how much time we can spend brainstorming each person's issues. So I sort of do that mental, um, math gymnastics in my head really quick on the front end of the call. And then I become the timekeeper. And so I have to gently remind people, Hey, this feels like a good place 
to stop this conversation? Does everyone agree? Mm-hmm. Any, any last moments and sort of gently re- then gently move us to the next person. Um, and then the final piece of the call, which I never think I said was that at the end of the call, everyone gives their accountability action item for the next time. Yeah. So they haven't, they, so they have until the end of the call to sort of think about it and say, okay, I will do this by the next time we meet. And so obviously you want to record those too. And sometimes it will even be prior to before you meet. So I actually have a note that went out this morning to someone in a mastermind group that was like, remember, today's the day you agreed to do this. How's it going? (laughs) And I remind people like, I'm not doing it to nag or be, you know, annoying, but this is what you asked me to do. You asked me to hold you accountable. Lawyers love deadlines. Here's your deadline. I mean, if nothing else, one of the reasons to do this is the accountability piece, right? Like to, to make sure that, you know, it's like hiring a personal trainer. There's somebody who's telling you what to do and telling you what you have agreed to do, I guess is a better way of putting it. Yeah. I love that analogy. I've been using it a lot. I'm like, some people can just show up to the gym and they're good to go. Other people like, or tell me I have to have a personal trainer because I need to know someone's going to be there. You know, on yeah, it's like a difference between a, a bare gym membership, which everybody knows is a little bit of a weird scheme where everybody who doesn't come to the gym subsidize the gym rats. Um, <laughs> and, you know, if you're a gym rat, great. That's a good deal for you. And if you're not, you're, you know, just um, going every January until the 15th or so. Right. But it's the, that's one thing. But a mastermind group with a facilitator is more like a personal trainer. And I guess I guess you're the personal trainer, Stephanie. I am. <laughs> so maybe we should close like, you know, the, I, I hope we've given people good information if they want to implement a mastermind group on their own. Um, but maybe we should say a little bit more about, um, how you handle those within lab and, and what lab is just in case people haven't taken the time to learn about it. Cause I, th- I think it'd be good for people to understand what you're doing there. Yeah. I would love for anyone who's interested if, you know, reach out to me, you can find me on lawyers.com on the about us page, but my emails, Stephanie at lawyers.com. If anyone has any questions, I'm always happy to talk about this, but lab is, we, we really have two components of lab that offer mastermind groups. So the first is um, the Lawyer's Lab, which is a one-year program really designed to help you work on your business. So if you're one of those folks that that little light bulb went off and you said, yeah, I need to do that more. What we do in lab is sort of just spoon feed it to you. So each day, each week, this is what you work on today. And over the course of the year, you end up working on all aspects of your business that are actually covered in our solo small firm scorecard. So it's just really great. So we give you that step-by-step how to implement new systems and processes and ideas and technology everything into your business. And a a component of that is a mastermind group. So everyone who's in lab is divided up into smaller mastermind groups, and we meet monthly to be able to go deeper into these issues. For a scorecard and you did really well, you got an A or B, congratulations. And maybe you've kind of figured out the basics of running your firm, but this idea sounds interesting to you. And you want to go to the next level and you're thinking about things um, to do with your business, we have another program called Lab Pro. And that also has um, the mastermind group as a major component of it. And I love working with these guys. These are like the stuff that comes up in those calls is so awesome because it's kind of next level stuff. And um, Mm -hmm. and so it's a lot of fun. And so if you're interested in that, you can reach out to me and I'd love to tell you more. Yeah, you can reach out to Stephanie. You can also go to lawyerist.com slash lab to learn more. Mm -hmm. Um, Do we know when the next cohort uh, will launch for lab? Lab will start again in early November, the first of November. 
Lab Pro really is a monthly thing. So if you've taken our solo small firm scorecard and, and you've done People well on it. People have to qualify it, for Lab Pro though. Yeah. So yeah. go and take that scorecard, which you should just do anyway, because I know you always say this, but it's, <laughs> it really is a valuable tool to kind of give you an overview of what types of things. If, if you're hearing this and you're like, well, I don't even know what Stephanie means. What should I be working on? for my business, well, take the scorecard because that's going to give you all the secrets right there. Those are the things you should be working on. Yeah. When I go out and talk, what I usually say to people is like, look, if you want to know if you should be in lab, take the scorecard. And if the questions resonate with you and you find yourself going, wow, I, now I finally have an idea of the things I need to be working on, but I don't know where to start. Like, you know, you're either somebody who needs to spend more time digging into the resources on Lawyerist or you need to be thinking about lab. So yeah, great way to put it. Well, Stephanie, thanks so much for talking about mastermind groups. And I hope everybody got some stuff about it and good luck at LabCon, which by the time this podcast goes, will have been a massive success. So yes, thank you. Make sure to catch next week's episode of The Lawyerist Podcast by subscribing to the show in your favorite podcast app. And please leave a rating to help other people find our show. You can find the notes for today's episode on lawyerist.com slash podcast. The Lawyerist Podcast is produced with help from Lindsay Calhoun and edited by Paul Fisher. The views expressed by the participants are their own and are not endorsed by Legal Talk Network. Nothing said in this podcast is legal advice for you. 